Welcome to Bible Study. This is Len standing in for Nick today who has other duties he has to attend to. I hope you really enjoy the study of Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let me introduce the panel to you. Well, first of all, we have Helen. Hello, Helen. Hi, Len. Thank you. It's great to be here. And another lady we enjoy listening to, and that's Jo. Hello, Lynn. Hello, panel. It's great to be here. And then we have the wisdom of Will. Welcome, Will. Nice to be with uh, the panel and the listener again today. And we have another W with us today, and that's Wolfgang. Welcome, Wolfgang. Good to be with you, Len, and uh, good to be with all our listeners as well. And our facilitator today is Ken with the distinctive Irish accent. Welcome, Ken, and over to you. Thank you, Len. I, I didn't think anybody actually would have noticed the Irish accent, but there you go. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another Bible study. This week's study is called The Author and Perfecter of Our Faith. Hebrews 11 and 12 are probably the most loved chapters of the book. They describe the Christian life as a race in which we all participate and in which all who stay faithful will receive the reward. They also describe the drama of redemption as a race in which people of faith from the past preserved despite sufferings but have not yet received the reward. And that's because the story ends with us as well, not just them. We are the concluding act. This drama culminates with the with our entering and running the last part of the race and with Jesus seated at the goal line at the right hand of God. He provides inspiration as well as the ultimate example of how the race is run. He is the ultimate witness that the reward is true and that he is the forerunner who opens the way for us. Hebrews 11 explains that faith is confidence in God's promises, even if we cannot see their fulfillment yet. This lesson will explore what faith is and how it is obtained through the examples of the past and especially and centrally through the example of Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. But before we get started, I'm going to ask Len to pray for us. Yes, listeners, I invite you to bow your heads with us as we pray. Our dear Father in heaven, it's wonderful we have your word and the example of people who've gone before us who believe that you are God and believe that you are the creator and the redeemer, which we also believe. Lord, we approach your throne of grace this morning asking that you will give us the panel wisdom to explain your word well and that you will also bless our listeners as they hear the words of grace and of your goodness. We're also mindful, Lord, of the troubles that are occurring in this world on the east coast of Australia with all the pain, heartache and damage because of the flooding and a similar situation, but not flooding with water, but flooding with bombs and things like that in the Ukraine. We pray that you'll protect your people. We know that you will. And uh, we invite the Holy Spirit to direct us this morning as we open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you, Liam. Well, listeners, as we said, today's study is about Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. But what is faith? How does the Bible describe it? Helen. Yeah, the Bible actually describes it. It's the only definition that you will find in the Bible is in of faith is Hebrew uh, 11 verse 1. And um, faith has always been the mark of God's servants from the beginning of the world. But here I'm going to read it. Um, Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance or the confirmation of things hoped for, divinely guaranteed, and the evidence of things not seen, which is the conviction of their reality. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced in the physical, center, physical senses. You know, faith justifies only as it refers and depends on Christ, according to John Wesley. And um, I was reading a good statement the other day that said, the beginning point of faith is believing in God's character. He is who he says. The end point is believing in God's promises. He will do what he says. So faith gives us the confidence that we we hope for what will actually happen. Thank you, Helen. Len, how do we get this faith? Well, before I answer that question, I'd like to say that Christians have been accused of having a blind faith. I don't believe that. A blind faith is like the woman who went to the car dealer and ordered a new car and said, can you wait until tomorrow? I'll pay for it then because I'm going to win the lottery tonight. Well, she didn't go back for the car because she didn't win the lottery. That is blind faith. However, as a Christian, my faith, and I believe the faith of all the members of the panel, is based on reasonable evidence. And that comes from God. God gives us faith because of his grace and mercy and because he loves us. And faith comes from God as a gift. And because we understand that God is our creator, that God exists, therefore we can exercise that faith without doubting that we are believing in something that's true. I think another important factor about faith is that even though even though it's something that cannot be seen, we actually have faith in something that isn't t- tangible, it's not visible. An evidence of genuine faith is that it produces a visible effect. It actually, what starts off as a faith in something not tangible, invisible, is actually visible through the faith, the faith that works. It becomes visible and apparent to others that you do have faith. Thank you, Joe. That's good. It's certainly good that we can get this faith from God. That's certainly good news. So is it important to preserve and build this faith Helen. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. We're actually counselled in Hebrews um, 10, 35 to 36. It says there, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation, it says, so do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patience, endurance, patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will then you will receive all that he has promised. You know, Matthew Henry said it's a firm expectation that God will perform all that he has promised to us 
in Christ. And that's when we come back to Hebrews 11, 1 and 2. Again, I read 1 before, but 1 and 2 says, Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. Thank you, Helen. How does the message of the prophet Habakkuk relate to our faith and lives in these last days of Earth's time? Wolfgang, would you like to answer this one? Prophet Habakkuk illustrates the importance of hanging in there, as we call it today. Patient endurance or persistence is a very important characteristic among God's people of any age, let alone for those who live in the last days of Earth's history. Habakkuk was actually writing at a time when basically he longed for God to intervene in a situation where God's people were suffering terrible abuse, insults and mockery. He couldn't understand why, as he wrote in his first chapter, verse 13, that God somehow tolerated the ruthless, treacherous and wicked to swallow up those who are more righteous than themselves. It simply didn't seem fair. Without trying to answer the why question, God responds by assuring the prophet that he has the situation in his hand and at the appointed time. That's a very important phrase. At the appointed time, God promised to vindicate his people, but they needed to trust his promise, having patience, in other words, hanging in there, as I said, maintaining loyalty and confidence that God would not let them down. In fact, Habakkuk eventually sums it all up with that very famous cryptic phrase that um, uh, became very popular even in the New Testament, the just shall live by his faith. God's timing isn't often in sync with what we would like to see, simply because he knows so much more than we do. But he will come through if we trust his word and live with perseverance. And we need to learn that lesson. We need to learn to live with that same resilient hope and endurance regarding our longing for the second coming of Jesus as Habakkuk lived in his day. Jesus promised that at the appointed time he will come back and it will happen. Let's not give up on it. In fact, that's what the writer to the uh, the Hebrews actually said. For yet a little while, And he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Thank you, Wolfgang. That is such an important message for Christians today, that God has everything under control. Even though this world seems to be in chaos, we see here that God has a plan which is coming to its conclusion. But we need faith to get through this difficult time. What can we do to keep this faith in these times? Joe? Well, Ken... There's a lot that we can do to, uh, to get through difficult times, and, and there are plenty around. Uh, we need to be anchored on something solid, and, and we know that there's nothing solid in this world that this world has to offer. So we need to focus our mind on God's word and God's promises. Um, these are found in the Bible and will sustain us through whatever we may be going through, wherever we may be living. This forms the basis 
this solid word of God forms the basis of our, basis of our relationship with Jesus, as does prayer. And believing the word of God, um, as the verse, which I haven't read as yet, it says in Proverbs 3, verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. So this is a wonderful promise. Um, and another beautiful promise is that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Um, so Hebrews also tells us that Jesus is our surety. We may remember that from previous discussions, a guarantee. So um, this puts everything into perspective. Whatever is happening, Jesus is always there. He never fails us in our time of need. We may feel that we are alone, but God has already started a means by which he is dealing with the difficulties and um, in ways that we cannot imagine. So if we trust him and remain faithful, we know that God will see us through and that he'd been with us the whole time. So this is how we get through difficult times. God's word, prayer, our relationship with God, which is reflected in our relationship with other people. You know, Ken, there are some atheists who say, are you Christians? You're a mob of weaklings. You have to have a crutch. In other words, when a Christian is in trouble or need, they will turn to God. And hence this uh, criticism that comes from these people. But, you know, I think no man is an island. When you have difficulties or anybody has difficulties, including atheists and agnostics, they very often turn to a friend or turn to a government agency for support. So that criticism that's levelled at Christians is really not a fair criticism. Well, Len, that, that's an interesting point. I also just want to mention again that particular scripture that Joe read, Proverbs 3, 5. It's such such an important Scripture to think about and dwell on is trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In these difficult days, there's so much going on and it affects Christians as well as everybody else. And we need to have this understanding of the Lord. The author of Hebrews highlights a number of people who had great faith. Some examples are given here. Will. I can share with you two good examples. Uh, Noah. And Moses, uh, Noah is someone who could believe in something that would seem impossible. In fact, irrational to the science and wisdom of his day. That is rain. Rain coming from the sky and in deluge when it had never rained before. Then perhaps Moses as well. Moses was destined to become the monarch of the greatest empire in antiquity since the flood, but he chooses ill-treatment and abuse and suffering with his people rather than the fleeting palace pleasures of the pharaohs. Now Moses makes this decision because he looked to the future, the future reward promised by God. And he could believe, even though there was no physical or concrete guarantee or evidence, that he would graduate to such a privilege, believing in something that at times would seem 
pretty nebulous. That's faith for me, Ken. I noticed too that there is in the um, great chapter on faith, Hebrews eleven seventeen. it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. I thought that was an interesting, well, his whole story was interesting, but um, when I read that, I thought he had received God's promises. He built up his faith so that when God was really testing him at the end, um, <clears throat> he was able to stand true, and God saw him through. The other one I, that I can think of is um, Joseph, and I read about him in the Great Hall of Faith too, and uh, that's in Hebrews 11.22, and it says here, uh, it was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. He even commanded them to take his bones with them when they left. You know, for, for Joseph, faith meant trusting in God and doing what he wants, regardless of the circumstances or consequences. That's a good lesson for all of us. The other one that comes to mind for me is Job and the story of Job. I was very intrigued that every time a servant came and said something else had happened, you know, to his family or his, his herd or his flocks or whatever, at the end of all that, one after the other, Job didn't rant and rave. He actually went on his knees and worshipped God. And he still trusted God regardless of what was happening. I think there are great lessons of faith for each one of us. We are so blessed today to have God's word in the Bible because there are so many examples there of people who had incredibly difficult times. And as we know, this world is an incredibly difficult place at the moment. So we're blessed that we can go to the Bible and look up so many, many examples. Now, well, what did all these people have in common that, that we've been talking about? Perhaps the best way I could answer it is by reading a text, uh, some texts in Hebrews 11, and I'm reading from verses 13 to 16. All these people were living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Perhaps people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. This is the important part. Instead, they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. There is a common belief that when people die, they go straight to heaven. This is talking about good people. Bad people supposedly go straight to hell and have been toasted forever. Well, I don't believe that at all. But it's very important from those texts that Will read, and I'll read Hebrews 11 verse 13 again. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Now here, I think the Bible is quite clear by saying these faithful people 
had not received what they were actually waiting for. That is still to come. And I believe that same um, situation applies in our day. When somebody, one of God's children dies, they don't go straight to heaven. They wait until the return of Jesus. Then they will receive the promises. Then that's such an important point. I, I believe there's many Christians today that uh, think for some reason once you become a Christian that God becomes your Santa Claus and is going to fix all your problems. But the Bible makes it very, very clear that uh, that's not the case, that in this world we're going to have trials and tribulations and problems. And as has been mentioned, that this world is not our final home. We're just passing through and we have to keep our eyes on the goal. And that goal, of course, is everlasting life when Jesus, when he returns. Wolfgang, you have a comment? Yeah, I was just thinking as Len was talking that um, in actual fact, at the end of the chapter in Hebrews chapter 11, <clears throat> pardon me, God says that, that very thing. He says these were all commended. This is verse 39. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. And then comes verse 40, which uh, really encapsulates what Len was saying there at the end. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. In other words, all of God's people actually receive the reward at the same time. They were only looking forward, but we all end up receiving it at the same time when Jesus comes back. Yes. Well, that's certainly something wonderful to, to look forward to and to think about Joe, what important lesson can we learn from this scripture? Well, Ken, I think uh, previous comments have answered this amply. All I could probably reiterate is that all these people, they trusted and obeyed in what God had said, regardless of the evidence before them, and had a faith in a future yet to come. I mean, I think it's been summed up beautifully. It's also, I think, important to take note that often, people's prayers may not be answered when they expect. And this sometimes can be a, a difficult time for Christians when something really, really important is in their life or having a really, really difficult time and they're praying for something. And the Lord may choose not to answer it at that time. And it can be discouraging. But coming back to Proverbs 3, 5, we must remember that we must trust in the Lord no matter what's going on. But I do believe that most of us, we know in our hearts that Jesus is there. He is listening and he knows what's going on, but we cannot see the full picture. And so we have to have this faith. Leon, can you explain why the author of Hebrews places great emphasis on Moses? Yes, well, Moses, of course, was probably one of the most outstanding characters in the Bible. There are a number of reasons. One is that Moses led his people who were captives in Egypt to freedom. No wonder he was well remembered by the Israelite people. But do you realize that Moses' name is used 79 times in the New Testament. That's um, one 
One thing, Moses was a very notable character. In fact, in leading his people to freedom, Moses is a type of Christ. Christ leads us to freedom from sin. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. The Jews revered him, and Moses was noted for his humility. Folks, he was called the most humble man on the face of the earth. But in Hebrews chapter 12, five times it is mentioned that by faith Moses did something or other. By faith Moses believed God. By faith he did this, by faith he did that. So Moses is really an outstanding character whom we can model our lives after. Why did um, the author of Hebrews place so much emphasis on Moses? Because he's a good example for every single one of us. He believed God and he did something about it. And that's a bit of an issue. There are people who believe, but they don't do anything about it. But Moses believed and he acted on it. Yeah, he was human. He made his mistakes. He was even barred from entering the promised land. But he believed God and he did something about it. Thank you, Dan. He was also a very special person. And again, someone in the Bible that we can look at today and see the difficult times that he had. And yet through it all, he maintained that faith and his promise will be, of course, in heaven. Wolfgang, how did the experience of Moses parallel the experience of those who read the Hebrews letter? Well, perhaps I should start by reading a passage from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 to 35, where the Apostle Paul reminds the, uh, the people that he's writing to, he says, remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you endured a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So... Do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You know, as he writes this, it's quite clear that it has a lot of parallel, a lot of resonance with the actual experience of, uh, of Moses. Clearly, the recipients of the letter to the Hebrews had willingly gone through some very difficult times when they became believers. But... As uh, Len has already alluded to in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 to 27, it tells us that Moses had also chosen certain things. It says, when he had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. In other words, it was a deliberate choice. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy a fleeting, um, the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace 
for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. So here we get this icon of Hebrew culture, as Len has already described to us. He also chose to be mistreated along with God's people rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of prestige and power and luxury and indulgence in an Egyptian palace for a short time. And um, he also chose disgrace by casting his lot in with a bunch of slaves whom he ended up leading from Egypt to the promised land. But he did that for the sake of God's purpose for his life. He clearly chose to see uh, that as of greater value than all the pomp and circumstance of ruling the greatest kingdom on earth at the time. Why? Because he was able by faith to look ahead beyond the immediate possibilities to something much longer lasting. In other words, immediate gratification was overruled by confidence in a long-term future based on the promises of God. His eyes were fixed on an enduring heavenly reward rather than a transient earthly one. And surely the idea of keeping in mind long-term goals rather than living for short-term pleasures is a lesson that most parents have tried to convey to their children at some point. I believe that in exactly the same way the writer to the Hebrews is seeking to encourage his readers to do that right here as well. That's why he adds in Hebrews 10 and uh, verse 35, He says, um, don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. In other words, the comparison with Moses injects a real sense of affirmation for them to desire and to be motivated under the conviction of the Holy Spirit to actually hang in there and not lose heart. He certainly was an amazing person. And I I find it totally awesome that here he was, the adopted son of Pharaoh, living in what we would call probably paradise today with his servants and the best of the best. And yet he turned his back on all of this to become like his brothers and sisters. We have seen some better known Bible characters, but God has also included some people who we would not expect to find here, like a lady called Rahab. Helen, why do you think this woman was on the list of great men and women of faith? You would think that Joshua would be here, but he's not. Can you tell us, put some light on this one? I think it's very interesting when you look into the story of Rahab for a start. Hebrews 11.31 says it was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. You know, when Joshua planned 
the conquest of Jericho, he sent out spies to investigate the fortifications of the city. The spies met Rahab, who had two strikes against her. She was a Gentile and she was a prostitute, but she showed that she had faith in God by welcoming the spies and by trusting God to spare her and her family when the city was destroyed. You know, faith helps us turn around and do what is right, regardless of our past or the disapproval of others. But what about Joshua? You know, when I go over to Joshua chapter 9 and have a look, sorry, Joshua chapter 2, verses 9 to 11, and I, I'm here looking, let me just make sure I've got the right text here, Joshua chapter 2, 9 to 11, yes. Um, and it says here, um, Rahab was was in here before, verse 8 says, before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. This is what she said. She said, I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know that you did what you did to Sihon and and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. And I actually found that extremely interesting that here was Rahab, a Gentile, a prostitute, a woman who was putting God first, even over some of the people in in, uh, the Israelites. And many would assume that Rahab, she was a pagan, she was a Canaanite, as well as a prostitute, would never be interested in God. And yet she was willing to risk everything she had for God, a God she barely knew. And I think there's a lesson there for us, Ken, that we must not gauge a person's interest in God by his or her background, lifestyle or appearance. We should let nothing get in the way of our telling people the good news. And Rahab herself recognized something that many of even the Israelites did not recognize, and that was the God of heaven is not an ordinary God. He is all-powerful. The people of Jericho were afraid because they had heard the news of God's extraordinary power in defeating the enemies, the armies across the Jordan River. And today we can worship this same powerful miracle-working God. He is powerful enough to destroy mighty wicked armies as he did in Jericho. He is also powerful enough to save us from certain death as he did with Rahab. She had tremendous faith. I was reading the, the human genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 4. And in both cases, Rahab is mentioned. Now, women were not usually uh, held in the same esteem as men back in those times. But here she was, an ex-prostitute, an ex-pagan, who um, believed that God was working in and through the Israelites And she became a believer. And more than that, she became one of the uh, ancestors of Christ. Now, this tells me something. By the way, she married Salmon, and her son would have been Boaz. And you've read the story of Ruth. Boaz eventually married Ruth. But his 
mother was Rahab. Now what this tells me, your past is not held against you by God. If you ask for forgiveness, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. So whatever you've done in the past doesn't really count. What counts is your relationship with God now. Len, I was just going to amplify that answer as well, but you've covered it really well there, that irrespective of what your background is or where you're coming from, God is happy to have everyone in his kingdom. No one is bored. If you turn to God, he is more than happy to welcome you into his kingdom. Joe, when we read Hebrews 11 and verses 32 to 38, we see a picture painted here. Can you explain this one? Hebrews 11, verses 32 to 38. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They were about, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These are powerful, powerful words. These are not people leaning on crutches, um, as some in the world might say, oh, Christians need a crutch. These were people living on the edge, were they not? And what comes to mind is that, these were just ordinary flawed humans who through faith, you know, they weren't, you know, they weren't born with amazing faith. They just grew. They took God at his word and obeyed and did extraordinary things for God. You know, when we look back at some of those heroes, they came from various backgrounds and levels of education and gender, as already has been mentioned. Some of them served God in very dark and dangerous times. And I think of um, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and some were tortured, as was mentioned, and lost their lives in the service of God. Um, others were scorned, ridiculed, excluded, imprisoned. Some lost all their possessions and their position, but they did not waver. They were true until the end. They clung to God through faith. Their attachment to the world was was not as strong. Their faith in God rather was stronger and they gave up all. They gave up whatever it took. And I'd like to contrast that or basically say that Christian life is not always an easy one, is not often an easy one. Um, And sometimes our faith can take us to uncomfortable places. The true faith, our faith should be a living, indefatigable, life-changing faith. You know, that when we look at some of those heroes, some of them took actions at the prompting of God, which changed the course of history. But back to your question, Ken, 
what picture does this paint? Well, uh, these verses portray in my mind is one of of a living faith uh, that does not shrink from what it costs. Yes, I think people perhaps reading the Bible for some time and reading about many of these people and the, the really difficult times they had, I think in some cases it would be enough to put you off. However, we all know that eventually all of us will die, and I think it would be incredibly sad if that was life. We just lived, some of us have better lives than others, but there are many people in the world today who don't have a wonderful life. They struggle to get food and they struggle for shelter and all sorts of things, and yet they too have the wonderful opportunity to become part of God's family by accepting Jesus And I think this is what happened to some of the great people in the past. They started off not believing, but then they got this measure of faith that God gives them. And I think once you have this faith, there's something inside of us that realizes that God is real and Jesus is real. There is a wonderful world to come. And this is all part of God's plan. And we're on the final straight to that. Will, are we also part of this great race of faith? I can excitedly say, yes, we can be in good company with these uh, biblical heroes. You know, just like the champions of faith who had to keep looking forward to beyond the here and now, so we too, by faith and without concrete evidence, uh, can aspire to something that is presently seemingly beyond our reach. We trust that the day that we look forward to, the day in eternity, will come when that inheritance will be ours. And I'd like to just read what the Bible uh, says. And it's something that uh, Wolfgang quoted just a little earlier. But it makes it so clear. Hebrews 11, verses 39 and 40. These, these people of faith, these were all commended for their faith. Yet, None of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. So we stand in good company. We, together with them, as Wolfgang has said, will receive the great reward to which we look forward to in the distant future. God help us to be faithful until that day. Well, listeners, I don't know if you've heard of Pascal's wager. Pascal was a mathematician and a philosopher who lived in the 1600s. He was French, and he put up a proposition. He said, if there is no God and you believe there is no God, all right, you live your life, you die, and that's it. That's the first point. And his second point was, If there is a God and you don't believe there is a God, well, the same thing happens. You live, you die, and at the end, no more. And then there's the third proposition. If there is a God and you believe there is a God, then you've basically wasted your time. You just live and you die and all over Red Rover. And then it comes to the fourth point. If there is a God and you believe in God, you have everything to gain. 
And I think what we're talking about today and what these people we've been talking about is just the same as that, who believe God and believe his promises and they have everything to gain. The rest have nothing to gain. So really what it amounts to, if some people say, oh, you Christians, what if you're wrong? Well, we haven't lost anything. Len, that is such an incredibly important point. And I know many years ago I used to be an atheist not believing in God because I looked at all the problems in the world and I thought there cannot be a God to let all these things happen. However, when it was pointed out to me and I started to look into the Bible and saw the prophecy and many, many things that have happened, I was I gradually realized that, yes, this is true. There is a God, and certainly uh, I've had an amazing life, and God has saved me so many times from so, so many things. I could write a book on that alone. But the amazing thing about that, I'm slightly getting off the topic, but bear with me. The amazing thing about that was most of these uh, serious things that happened to me happened before I knew him. He knew me and was looking after me. So I, I do earnestly say to all our listeners, look, we all have doubts. We don't come into God automatically believing everything, but please check everything out. I think it is so important. Now, I think Hebrews 12 and verses 1 to 3 sums things up very well. Joe, would you like to read this one? Hebrews 12 verses 1 to 3 says, Therefore, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. A couple of things strike me here and um, it says, let us throw off everything that hinders. Anyone who has ever run in a race will know that if, you know, you don't want to be carrying a load or anything in excess while you're doing it. We only have to look at the Olympics and the athletes to know how they keep everything to a minimum. Even their clothing is designed to minimize wind resistance, etc. So we must also not allow the baggage of this life to entangle us, to hinder us. Um, and sometimes we think, oh, it's just, you know, materialism. It's, you know, all sorts of things, you know, like having too many possessions can hinder us. But, you know, it's sometimes things like guilt, shame, or feelings of privilege even, or our position which can hinder us from being faithful to God. And then it mentions, and the sin that so easily entangles, this too can hamper our progress. And this is another discussion in itself. And as I've mentioned in my previous comment, no one is born with a huge amount of faith. Everyone starts off with a teeny amount, the size of a mustard seed. But if exercised, it grows. Our heroes of faith weren't born that way. Their faith developed with time and experience with God. 
all these heroes, and we do put them up on a bit of a pedestal, were frail and flawed, but they trusted and obeyed God, and God was able to use them in a great way. And also, I might add that in enduring, as Christians, in enduring whatever we need to endure in this life, we share in Christ's suffering too, who endured the shame and suffering on our behalf. That's so true. I also think it's important to note that many of these wonderful people in the Bible that we've got these great examples from are absolutely no different from you and I. They all had the problems. They all had their flaws. None of them were great in the sense that they were superhuman or these sort of things. All the wonderful things came from the Lord, but they were just everyday people who had chosen to follow God and God blessed them. Lynn, what was the joy that Jesus was speaking about here? In John 14, 1 to 3, Jesus made a promise that one day he's coming back to collect both those who've died in the faith and those who are still living in the faith. Now, what's he going to do with them? He's going to take them back. I shouldn't say them. Take us back with him to his what he's described in the Bible as his father's house in heaven. And there he will with this great company of people that I hope includes every one of us on the panel and every one of you who's listening today, and he will present them to the father. And he will say, here they are, Father. These are the ones for whom I gave my life. They are those who have given me, uh, given me great joy to go through all that he went through. This is the ultimate thing. If you like, you could say this is his prize. We who are redeemed will be his prize. Well, that certainly is amazing. Listeners, I believe Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith in at least three senses. Wolfgang. Well, first of all, he's the only one who has actually finished the race. He's actually in heaven, as Scripture tells us now, sitting at the Father's right hand. Yes, and also it was his perfect life that made it possible for all of us to run the race. If Jesus had not come... Our lives would be futile, and as there would be no future for us when we die. Well, Jesus is the reason we have faith. As one with God, he expressed faithfulness toward us. And God has never given up trying to save the human race. Jesus never gave up, and he ran the race of life with patience even when we were faithless towards him. We spoke earlier about Moses, how Moses is an example to us. We can also speak about Jesus. He is our example too. As Queen Elizabeth said, he is our example. I want to read just one beautiful text talking about how we obtain grace and come into favour with God. Uh, Ephesians 3 verse 8 For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith This is not from yourselves It's the gift of God The very fact that we have faith 
to obtain the grace of God, to believe that we can have forgiveness, is a gift of God. And I hope that every one of you who's impressed by the Spirit of the Lord to lay hold on that, that you will lay hold on that grace that God gives and that you can experience the blessing of being in the kingdom of God forever. Well, listeners, we're almost out of time, but I'll just ask the panel for maybe something that each of them could bring after looking at this lesson today. And maybe we start off with Helen. Um, for me, it's it's God's grace that has come through with all these people um, that showed faith. And I believe it was because they also saw God's grace in their life. When I think of the word grace, um, it reminds me it's God's riches at Christ's expense. You know, God poured everything into us and it was at the expense of his own son. And um, I just hope and pray that our response, every listener as well as the panel, our response is such that we know our Redeemer, we know who lives and we have faith that he will see us through to the end. I had a lady say to me once that she didn't believe that God was willing to forgive her. She had done something really bad and she couldn't believe that she could be forgiven. You know what? She did not have faith in God's promise. And that's one thing, faith to accept the promise of God for forgiveness enables us to accept the other promises of God like he will give us eternal life. One thing that struck me during this lesson was that, and I think it's one thing that's important to remember, is that you don't need to be a practicing Christian or a churchgoer in order to ask God for help. Um, It just sounds very hard. It might sound very hard, these heroes of faith, and, you know, we might feel quite insignificant and unworthy, but you have to remember that all of humanity are his children and he loves all the same. So if we reach up in faith, no matter how small, you know, it could be the size of a, a mustard seed, we are told, no matter how small, I believe that, you know, and, and if you say, I want to believe, please help me to believe, help me Help my unbelief. I'm sure that you will not be disappointed because God has never turned anyone away that has come to him. So basically that is something that's struck me through this lesson is that God's willingness, he's always there waiting, no matter how small our faith. And he can turn us into giants of faith too if we are willing to follow him and obey him. Some of us, and no doubt many of our listeners today, can have faced such enormous challenges in life that it is easy to see that those challenges could have taken us down entirely to despair and despondency and even to the grave. I believe that faith in Christ and the bright future that these giants of faith had um, has proved to be the answer not only to them, but to myself and also to every listener today. I can highly recommend faith in Jesus. I suppose it's important to remember that faith in and of itself is not meritorious. 
It's not something that gives us uh, the, uh, the guarantee that we will be saved. Faith is merely the, the way in which we uh, accept the promises of God, put our confidence in them, and then move forward, uh, trusting in him, and he, he is then able to work out his purpose in us. Well, listeners, you too can be part of this great family of God. We are just everyday people who have chosen to believe and follow Christ. No matter what this life brings to our door, Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, is standing with us through all our trials and tribulations. He knows what you are going through. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He feels your sorrow and pain. But friends, this is only but for a season. World events are moving quickly and the return of Jesus is getting closer every day. The signs are all around this world. A wonderful new life awaits all who would accept Jesus as their saviour. Won't you join him? Wolfgang, would you like to finish with prayer? Our Father in heaven, what a privilege it is and what an inspiration it is to think about genuine people who had a living confident trust in your promises. Father, we, we long to, uh, to follow their example and we realise that um, faith is something that you give people and even though it's small to start off with, it can grow and develop. Father, we just want to accept the gift of faith and along with the writer of the book of Hebrews, As he wrote, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Lord, please help us to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Please help us to run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, uh, panel, and thank you, listeners, for joining us. And uh, we look forward to having you with us next week. But until then, as Nick would say, may God bless you and keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith.